This is Strange Assembly, episode 217, Dragon. So I decided to stop trying to name the episodes after the articles when we're talking about two different articles and other stuff, or do you think I should call this episode like the rising wave of monks or something? I think you just say new dragon. I don't know. Yeah, well, so dragon it is. I'm not going to go back and re-record that just to make it new dragon. (laughs) So that is Mike Cook. Hey. I am, as always, Chris Stevenson. This is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can download more episodes of the podcast there or on iTunes. Or, I'm sorry, it's not iTunes anymore. Or on Apple Podcasts, because uh, who uses iTunes anymore? It's really terrible software. Um, <laughs> or in the Google Play Music Store. Uh, yeah, so you have not been on since new L5R started gearing up, Mike. Correct. What have you been up to lately? Playing 7C? <laughs> <laughs> the old card game? Yeah. Yeah, I was about to say, gotta... they kickstarted a new role-playing game version of that, right? But nobody's reprinting the yes the card game as of yet, right? No. Well, and in fact, the Doomtown rights, apparently, they just let those completely revert. Because there's, you know, there's the same people in charge of the new version of Doomtown. I guess they're just picking it back up where AEG left off. So I'm guessing we're not going to see, because the rumor was that 7C was the next thing you're going to do, and I'm guessing we're never going to see that now. Presumably, Doomtown did not do well financially, or else they wouldn't have stopped printing it. Right. I got a little uh, scintilla of hope for at least making sure we finish out the cycle with the Star Wars LCG, since they finally are actually... They finally posted something else about the the new cycle and like at least the first pack. They still haven't announced the third through sixth packs of the cycle. <laughs> and they've still barely said anything about it. So I'm I'm still kind of in the yeah, this is probably dead camp, but you know, at least the stuff they already announced with the new faction cards will come out before it dies. Hopefully. I think the new faction cards are in the first pack of the cycle so since i think at least they had announced the first two packs of the cycle and the first one is definitely coming out and i think that that means the second one will as well but it seems kind of weird if they stop in the middle of a cycle but i guess you can't keep publishing a product you don't want to publish just because people get all uptight about not having cycles completed yeah i mean i don't know They've completed stuff before like that, just because I don't think it costs them terribly much, even if it doesn't. I mean, because the cards are already designed, right? I think the printing is definitely a significant cost, but I'd say, you know, the design's already there. You're going to get some money out of it. Yeah, I mean, I I hope that they do at least complete the cycle. Although it's weird, I want them to complete the cycle. I will buy the cycle... I will then take those cards and they will probably, I will build decks, I will then put them in a box and put the rest of the cards in a binder and then I will probably never play it again. Because that's what happens. I know that you were talking about like going back and playing an old dead CCG, but really right. That, right, that's for the most part what happens with the living collectible like update make your own deck sort of games 
once they stop getting supported is that everybody just goes on to something. Yeah, typically. You'll see people play stuff uh, at Gen Con and whatnot. But, you know, it's usually a very dedicated group of people. Yeah, I mean, you've still got the continuing committee running Decipher Star Wars CCG. People are meeting for Warlord. I mean, I was going to say Star Trek CCG is the continuing committee. Sorry. But, although I wonder if that would... Somebody should make a new good Star Trek card game. Yeah. Good luck with that, since it's been off... Well, I guess the new one is coming out in September. There have been some recent... To coincide with the anniversary, right? There were some recent Star Trek games, but I don't know that any of them really hit. Probably the one that seemed like the best position to do something was Ascendancy, and that has gotten hung up. I'm not sure. I don't think any of the expand like they had the expansions like to preview Gen Con last year, and I don't think they've come out yet. Right. I, I don't know what exactly happened. I mean, I, there's probably more information out there. It's not something I cared about enough to research it, but... Right. Well, whereas, you know, because Fantasy Flight is a behemoth and has the Star Wars license, you know, we're just rolling in Star Wars stuff. I mean, Star Wars is more popular than Star Trek uh, anyway, so, I mean, there's a, a oh. reason for that, but... Uh, speaking... Well, I don't know why this uh, randomly popped in my head, but also there's the... Um... The Genesis they announced, so... Yeah, I was going to say, they announced the the rule system for the new Legend of the Five Rings role-playing game. Most likely. No, not most likely, come on. There is no way on Earth. <laughs> so, so if you haven't seen the announcement, the Genesis system is a non-setting-specific core rulebook for the narrative dice system, which is, or whatever they call it, which is what is used in the Fantasy Flight Star Wars role-playing games. And that, yeah, so that is, they're going to come out with that as a core book. It sounds like it's going to have like five, four or five generic settings in it. And then they're totally going to release a Legend of the Five Rings campaign book for it and an Android campaign book for it. And now that I think about it, why would there not be an Arkham Horror Files setting book for it? And uh, Tiranoth. Yes, yes, because that's uh, that's fantasy. I hear fantasy is a thing that people do with some role-playing games. There might be a couple of successful role-playing games that are fantasy. Recently. <laughs> Recently, within also four decades ago, you know, that's what I mean. Uh, but it's yeah, they're gangbusters. Uh, yeah, there, there is no way that that Fantasy Flight, having come out with that sort of thing, is not going to use it to make these IPs that they have. I mean, we knew that they were going to make a Legend of the Five Rings role-playing game. Right. I mean, I... There are roll-and-keep aficionados, obviously, who would prefer that it stays that, but Fantasy Flight's going to use their system and cackle as you buy three sets of their dice to play with their characters. I think I don't have to buy more dice. I think my I think the symbols are slightly different, but I think I can just use my Star Wars role-playing game dice. I think I have enough of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think I'm good. <laughs> Although I did, I, I have to admit, I, I, I did play the sucker and buy a, uh, a pack of Mansions of Madness dice because the game doesn't come with enough dice. So they yeah, sell really them separately. Doesn't. 
yeah, I'd I'd criticize Fantasy Flight for for not just putting enough dice in, but obviously there's a successful business strategy there. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the I have to imagine. I mean, because they could do campaign settings like old D and D used to do, right? But nobody seems to do that anymore, other than the um, well, Gerps I think is still printed, but the company that does Deadlands, their stuff tends to be like you get the generic book and then you get the settings for them. There's a lot of publishing now that uses that. True. But usually on the smaller side, right? I mean, that's what you've got, stuff like Fate. And you have a one one company produces a core book and then other people do stuff. Or And Monty Cook Games is doing that with a cipher system. But specifically what I'm talking about, in fact, with Fate, right? Dresden, the Dresden Files RPG uses Fate and uh, they made a specific book with specific rules for it. Like that tends to be what things things are doing. Even when you have a generic, a generic system, and so I'm guessing they're going to do the exact same thing with L5R and all these other things, right? Like you've got the generic system, but then you also I'm sure they'll give us custom dice and a whole book that has all the rules in it and whatnot. I I my uh my it, it's interesting to see which way they go. It, yeah, well, I mean, if you if you get the core book. The, like the, the, the sort of generic rule book, it doesn't matter much that way. I mean, because, right, even, even if they make the campaign book for, or whatever they call it, for Legend of the Five Rings or, or Android, not have all the rules in it, it's still going to have a lot of setting-specific rules, right? Like the rules that you need for hackers... You know, futuristic hacking is not the rules that you need for magical samurai. <laughs> like, they're just not. Right. So, you're going to have to repeat, not repeat, you're going to have to put an awful lot of rules in those books, even outside of the the core mechanic. But, you know, I mean, it's guess the uh, the actual underlying core mechanic probably doesn't take a, that much. I mean, I could look back, I, I don't... Someday I don't have them. Mo- I guess I could go back and look in my uh, one of my reviews of the Star Wars games where I talk about how much page count it devotes to this or that. But I guess it probably doesn't take up that much page count. But I mean, either way, we'll see. I guess it matters in that if the like if the L five R core book already has all of the rules in it, I don't know that I'd necessarily buy the Genesis core book. Because if right. I mean, like, if I'm going to buy the separate things and they have all the rules anyway, I don't, I don't know that I need to buy a generic system. I guess if I if I was going to be playing in a game that used that system but was not Star Wars or whatever, I just I just don't think Fantasy Flight would would they really get that much uptake if they made that like as a generic rules system, but then all of their own games had all the full rules in them anyway. I somehow don't think that there's going to be a lot of third-party companies using the narrative dice system. Yeah, my guess that, uh, well, yeah, my guess would be that they're going to make that prohibitively expensive if they decide to license it at all, which they would actually not have to do. No, no, they don't. I mean, most of those... I think most of those things, do you even do they even license them, license them? Isn't it sort of a, well, you can use our rules system, but that that's so that when people play your game, they have to buy our core book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know. So I'm, 
Well, we've we've spent uh, a good fifteen minutes now, and I don't know that we've actually talked about Legend of the Five Rings at all. So we should probably do that. Oh yeah, I guess I guess that's why we're here. Yeah. Well, I mean, we uh, we we you wouldn't know it from the last two months, but I <laughs> I, I we actually do still play games that are not Legend of the Five Rings. It's just hard to get those episodes in around like these constant L5R episodes. So, and it's going to be especially hard next week because I'm going to be living in a house with no furniture for a week. It's going to be strange. My house has no furniture and I must scream. <laughs> so we two weeks ago we got The Rising Wave by Marie Brennan who I believe unlike the prior people had not been an official AEG person under the prior regime, but had been an RPG writer and, in fact, wrote the Tagashi Dynasty concept and chapter, and I, I think that was in Imperial Histories 2. That was the one that had all the fan ones. Yeah, Imperial Histories 2 for the the fourth edition of the role-playing game. So appropriate, then, that that she became the, the lead dragon author, or the, the lead-off dragon author, as it were. And then we got then we got monks of the mountain, so uh, we all know longtime listeners will know that I don't care about the dragon clan at all. So I guess I'll just let you yeah. talk about this one, Mike. I guess so. They're dragons. It's, it's pretty nifty. They have swords. <laughs> Nobody even had a fight. <laughs> no. In the story. Wait, what is this? A phoenix story? So it was sort of interesting for me going into this story because I had kind of spent the week building up to it kind of getting frustrated about old stuff and then like worrying about what they were going to do with this I have for the most part just kind of I or at least I thought had kind of just let go and moved on from various grievances and such from classic L5R but then people on the forum started, I mean, well, one, they started saying things like, oh, there's a heresy in the dragon. Oh, wouldn't it be cool if, like, the heresy was they made the Order of the Spider Monks part of the dragon clan? I'm like, dad, <laughs> somebody shoot me in the head. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There's an inner conflict in the lion clan because we made the Asahina part of the lion. And so now there's going to be conflict because they're pacifists and they're being ordered. To... No, no, uh, yeah, no sense. But that 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 I just rolled my eyes at that, and thank God that's easy for me to say now that I know that's not what it is. Yeah. But then you know there were some people being like, oh, what are they going to do with Tagashi? Because you know he caused all these narrative problems and he was a blah blah blah. And I and I just wanted to scream like Tagashi. He was the most singular cool thing about the Dragon Clan. Right. The immortal, standoffish, mysterious, actual dragon guy. Not that we knew at the beginning that he was, you know, all of those things. I haven't seen, like, people kind of notice it, but I haven't seen people tell new people that yet. Well, and that may not even be the case in the new right in the new setting. But the presence of that character is a feature, not a bug. And part of the reason I started right. in my head going back to old grievances is because I just want to kind of yell at people. And then I think I actually did post make one post about this, which is kind of like the person who kind of really pushed and generated that whole notion of 
there was something wrong with Tagashi that caused problems in the story, was also a member of a story team leadership that wrote for a decade without actually producing a good Dragon Clan plot. I'm saying nothing at all. <laughs> Anyhow, so, yeah. So, like I said, I, I got to, to relive a little bit of, like, trying to think, like, when was the last time that there was a good Dragon Clan? Oh, yeah, like Diamond Edition. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of a grudge here, huh? Yeah, maybe. What we got here was, I mean, I think in some ways, I, as appropriate for the dragon, right? It's a much more subtle story than, I think, than the line of the Crane ones. There was a solid amount of name dropping, but it wasn't as blatant. Like the Lion one, where you like started off the fiction by just listing seven famous Lion Clan people who were all hanging out right in the same place all at once. I mean, we know that... Yakuni still has prophecy things. We don't know if Yakuni is really Tagashi. It's also possible that there is more of a retconned Tagashi body jumper going on, right? They, the Miramoto family daimyo talked about Tagashi Mitsu as the heir of the dragon. I think there was a capital H like it was a title. So, you know, that could be, like, we know that this guy is going to be the next Dragon Clan champion, and that means that, like, Tagashi does the body jumping thing. But I I did not object to anything. That's good. That is good. That was kind of the weird thing. Like I, like I said, because I had... I had all this pre-reading jitters, basically, that it was, half it was like, don't screw me over, guys. Don't screw me over, guys. Don't don't make me read the Dragon Clan fiction and be like, I hate this story already. <laughs> but, yeah, we got to see Yakuni being all Vorlon. That's nice. I enjoyed getting everything from the perspective of the Miramoto, which I think is where it's supposed to be. Right. If you are getting an introductory fiction about the Dragon Clan that's from the perspective of the Tagashi Dragon Clan champion, you're probably not doing it right. <laughs> right. Like the... Uh, <laughs> What's Suki are doing this week for the first one ever? <laughs> yeah. To some extent, they're supposed to be mysterious. The right. Tagashi are really the solidly mysterious element of the clan. The Miramoto are actually pretty grounded and practical, Right. As far as it goes, and so they are—they or really anyone else in the dragon—is a much better point of view character than a Tagashi is. So, but we got to be very, very close to Vorlon with Yakuni because he has this quote about what transpires in our mountains is a mere pebble against the avalanche that is coming, and I could not help but think of Kosh going, "The avalanche has already begun. It is too late for the pebbles to vote." <laughs> so that was that was good. The Katsuki still exists, so that's a plus. They didn't like cut down the number of families or anything like that. The Katsuki method's still a thing. We got to learn that in the, uh, sure the card spoiler. Yay! You want to make sure that the uh, the things that you're fond of get preserved. Uh, not that everything that you're fond of can get preserved, but still, but still. I mean, what are what are dragon without a procedural? 
if you think about good dragon fictions, because like while I say that there was not a good dragon plot really for the latter half of the game, that doesn't mean there weren't individual good dragon fictions and Spooky's like seventeen part procedural series with the dragon and the crane magistrates, yeah. that was fantastic. Fair. See? I think dragon procedural is in fact just fine. You I mean that that is kind of the obvious thing to do with a Katsuki. That's that's really what distinguishes them, right? The way they conducted investigation. So <laughs> I look forward to someday seeing a, a Katsuki coffin crap. They're not you know, they're not the core uh, of the clan, but still, I I like them. They're pretty nifty. So we also saw a pile. I don't know if we've seen like all the Dragon Clan characters now. Probably not. I still have a hard time remembering that I have to pay attention to. Does this go in the conflict deck or the fate deck? Not not all of these guys come out of provinces thing. But what did you think of the spread of Dragon characters and attachments that we saw? I thought it looked pretty cool. I like the idea that people are attachments. The monk is like wandering around with you. (laughs) It's funny because I like the idea of the monk following you around. That's why it's an attachment. I like the idea of the knight and master having two attachments he can use to ready himself. So there were two monks that we saw that could be attachments? I think. Uh, Yeah, right. Because there's one that lets you steal a fate and there's one that... uh, one that gives you covert? Yeah, the uh, Tattooed Wanderer, I think, is... Who's not bad, either. I mean, so the Tattooed Wanderer... No. You, it says you may... You, you can play it, this character as an attachment with the ta- text, Attached Character Gains Covert. So, co- oh, so we should say, so covert is a new keyword that was revealed this week that is when that character attacks... They can pick one character the opponent controls, and that character can't defend. That's obviously very effective if your opponent only has one character, which actually, oddly enough, makes the dragon weak to covert too. But because this guy is an attachment that gives covert rather than just a dynasty side personality who has covert, you can, you know, wait and throw it down, and your opponent is not going to know that it's coming. But the tattooed wanderer is also just a 2-1 2-1 guy for one, which is really good stats, I think, given the uh, the yeah. numbers that we've seen. I think that might be the first character we've seen that... We've seen people who cost one and have a two, but they're like 0-2 or dash two. I think that might be the first 2-1 we've seen for one. I think so. I mean, there's definitely some efficient stats popping around in Dragon. There's that guy, and then I still like the Doomed Shugenja. Obviously, just a one-turn rental, but right, still lots of stats. The one-turn rental isn't really that bad when nothing really stays around that long anyways. There's just a lot of stuff to spend your fate on. Right. If you draw two cards a turn out of your conflict deck and flip up you know, play multiple provinces. How much? You know, how much fate do you have? Right. You know, a lot of these guys. Right. We talked about a lot of these guys cost three. That's almost half of your base production. Right. And since your base production is basically all your production for the most part, or almost all of your production. But for the dragon, we saw, I guess, a couple of sub themes. They all kind of fit with the theme of making Voltron units, but we we saw this sort of monk 
sub theme which has a lot of interaction with the whole with the whole unclaimed rings thing and like you said though some of them can be played as attachments uh, and then we saw a couple of Niten related guys which is part of how they're doing the attachment thing it's kind of like the Kensai including like well like the Ninten adapt that we spoiled on Strange Assembly earlier this week and then like everybody else they've got a couple of oddball ones I mean I guess the the Katsuki of the bunch actually goes with the monks in the interacting with unclaimed rings you know spending fate to an unclaimed ring so I wonder how like is it just me or do the dragon have a, a little bit more defensive oriented stuff than we've seen so far and I know that that's skewed by the fact that we've seen lion but not like crab or phoenix but like a lot of people liked the Naten adept because his it was a bow ability that worked on defense and it seems like all the stuff that interacts with where you spend to an unclaimed ring is much more attractive on defense because you can spend to the ring that you plan on claiming when you declare your attack that follows up as opposed to like if you spend to an unclaimed ring when you're attacking you're pretty much just giving fate to your opponent right does that make sense or am i missing no no no. yeah you got it yeah i mean the the timing of that makes i'm like i feel much more comfortable spending fate to unclaimed rings when i'm defending hey yeah well yeah and especially if you're defending first that you can defend you can put it to the ring you want to take next yeah yeah i mean obviously if you if this is the second of your opponents and the final attack of the round well you know nobody gets to to go next but as long as it's your opponent I mean, whatever if it's your opponent's first attack you're going to get the next attack and the dragon are seem like out of everybody the clan that might be most likely to be playing in the maximum amount of conflicts per turn because balanced stats is a big thing of theirs like we had previously seen the ancestral dice show the recurring attachment that gives you plus two military this time around, we see we saw Katsuki's method, the ancestral attachment that gives you plus two political. We see lots of guys that have balanced stats. The the Doom Shugenja has balanced stats. The Miramoto Prodigy has not balanced, but good stats in both ones. The Niten Master that we saw previewed has balanced stats, threes in both. The Seeker of... Not the Seeker of Enlightenment. The Aesthetic Visionary is expensive but also has strong stats on on both sides. The other kind of odd thing about this is is out of everybody for the dragon it's it's like without having played the real game it's the hardest to kind of judge what might be good or not. It seems like in the dragon so far more so than everyone else it's kind of contingent on how things work together and how the right. game flows and there are sometimes within the life cycles of games where putting lots of attachments on lots of eggs in one basket like that is a recipe for disaster but there have right. been other times like some in L5R where having one tough unit with lots of stuff on it was a really good strategy because you had the support so that, that character was just going to get to stick around and all the attachments helped them be uh, unkillable now we have not really seen a lot of things that are like negate and effect targeting my guy with an attachment or anything like that. Right. So, 
but it's hard to see. I don't know. We got the whopping third dual card we've seen. It's kind of funny. I I see people talk about like dueling as if you were making decks out of it. Right. Like we've seen three cards. I it they, I mean yeah. like <laughs> I, you know, it's one of those things it's like when you see look at characters. I know I still look at political as chi when it's not yeah, you're like, oh, 3-6, she's good in a duel. Oh, no, wait. <laughs> she would be if there was a political duel. <laughs> yes, yeah. We need rap battles. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we got we got our third duel card. There have been some other characters that had duelist on them that don't, in and of themselves, do anything with uh, dueling. Like, yeah. The Niten Master, I think his art... Oh, yeah, did you notice it's a lot harder to look up old cards anymore? Uh, yeah, since they shut down the site. Yeah, since I presumably FFG... Since it, since since the database on Oracle of the Void now redirects to FFG, I'm assuming FFG told them to knock it off or something? They probably don't want to pay the web serving costs anymore. I don't know. Well, if... Eh, I, I don't know. I mean, if I, 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 I wonder how much the web serving costs on that are. I wouldn't mind hosting that. Like that was really useful. It was actually, I went to write the article about the Niten adapt. Well, not the article, but right. I, I try to write a little something when we preview a card, and I'm like, this is pretty similar to some of the Kensei. Let's go on to Oracle of the Void so I can look up those Kensei and talk about them and include pictures. And Oracle of the Void is gone. Yeah. Oh, sad. Okay, well, I guess we'll have, this will have to be a little bit more vague than I, did, than I was hoping. <laughs> Theoretically, if I had all my stuff, I could go back and look at the actual cards, but that's a lot less convenient and, like, doesn't have a search function, but I can't even do that right now because all my stuff's in storage somewhere as I'm between residences. You know, I don't know, that was just a thing. But what are the, uh... So, uh, we got the new Dragon Duelist. What do you think about the Dragon Duelist compared to the Crane Duelist? Both of them have comparable costs, comparable stats. They have a military duel with a nifty effect. I think they're both great. I was seeing some people in the Crane were not super happy with them, but I don't know what they're really looking for either, so... Well, I saw specifically someone said that he was just better in every way than the Crane Duelist. I'm like, no, he's not. Is like, yes, discarding a fate versus sending home an entire almost an entire army. Yeah, basically. Or also, if he loses his duel for the Crane Duelist, he just goes home. That's it. Like, you might actually want that. You can like say, oh, okay, do a four because you don't want to lose this province. Okay, great. I'm doing a one. I get four more honor. I am, like, two away from winning, and I get to go home and attack you, because I don't even bow when I go home. I think both of them are thematic for their clans and families, at least based on traditional stuff, right? right. The notion of a of right sending the one crane duelist out to a battle to try to, like, win some honor or accomplish what you can before he gets sent home or dies or whatever. Like, that's very crane and then the yes. the miramoto is like no 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 i'm we're doing this duel because i'm trying to kill you i right <laughs> but no we were just doing this for honor guys <laughs> it'll be an honor to kill you 
there's definitely an, an interesting aspect to dueling now with the it's a little painful like you know it's like I, I I've got my Miramoto Raitsugu your guys two military my guys three military I can guarantee that your guy dies or loses his fate or whatever but it might cost me dearly and you like have to decide what sort of cost you're willing to pay or if you want to engage in some sort of gamesmanship Ah, well, my opponent knows I'm going to put a 5, so they're probably going to put a 1. So as long as just I put, if I put a 1, then I'll still be okay. But then, right. therefore, the poison cannot be in the cup in front of me. Well, so, the dragon one, right? You you basically have to win that. You you can't not win that duel in most cases. No. If he doesn't have fate, he just discards himself. Yes. <laughs> that is the old duel. Yeah, that would be very bad. The Miramoto, you are, you're absolutely trying to win the duel. It's just a question of whether or not if you don't have attachments on him or you're, or if you have attachments on him but you're going for some for a bigger target, do you go all out and just bid the max and suck up the honor loss or do you try to see if you can get away with, with less? Right. When my opponent plays Miramoto Raitsugu against me, and they start the duel. They have to win it. They know they have to win it. I know that I know that if they want to win it, they can guarantee that they win it by bidding a five. So do I just bid the one and reap the honor? Right. That's kind of inherently gamesmanship what that that side is doing. Like, you could try to win. Like, if you think they're going to try to cheat it and not lose as much honor and you go for it, whoops, but if you bid five and they just bid five, then you've lost the possibility of, you know, an eight-point honor swing. Right. And then, obviously, there is a real synergy with Raitsugu and the dragon wanting to play with attachments, though. Because a five military guy starting a military duel is a lot more comfortable than a three military guy. Now, if I'm if I'm three in year two, I have to go all out to make sure I win. If I'm five in year two... Yeah, this is going to be a lot less painful no matter what. <laughs> yeah. I'm 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 going to win, but I'm only going to hemorrhage like two honor instead of four. <laughs> yeah. And of course we got Yakuni who's got his 5 5 4 5. There's like a 3 3 and a 3 4 and then a 3 2 and another 3 3 and the 5 5, which I guess you need if you're building Voltron. Like you've got to have a solid base, and then, but it, I his is an interesting. I mean, how his ability strikes me as really good. Like it, it, it lacks the whole "I am in and of myself a super strong" ability. But that's an awful lot of versatility. Yeah. And we did see the dragon way of card, which uh, lots of stat boosts and. Each of attached characters triggered abilities an additional time. I we want we need to see a personality that has like three triggered abilities, <laughs> and then you can put Way of the Dragon on him and just like like machine gun. You just put it on Takashi Yokuni and hope they have hope they have good abilities, or or have good abilities yourself, I guess. Well, but he's once per turn, right? Oh, right, because his action actually caps it. His action is once per max, once per round, and like because right round is the word for turn. Yes, L- look at FFG happen to that it, brokenness. It, yeah, it has to. I'll be mean, like, let me see what the uh, 
Let me let me see if do we have that in the in the the rule book that got spoiled in, by demoers in France. No, <laughs> <laughs> was that was that in there? No. Uh, yeah. Uh, even Kid Investigator is actually max one per conflict. Although he actually can do it again if he gets into another conflict. Which is the one that you spend a fate to discard a card of your choice out of their hand? Yeah, I can only do that so many times, guys. Uh, right. And it's diminishing returns on him anyway. Right. I guess before we get to the most important card, I guess, the, the Stronghold, we did also see the Dragon Clan Holding, Secluded Temple, and the Dragon Clan Region. Province? Yeah, sorry, province. Yes, the Dragon Clan province, restoration of balance, which is as expected a fire a fire thing. So I guess let's start with the holding. So this is this is uh plus one province strength, or whatever they're calling it. And after the conflict phase begins, each opponent who controls more characters than you must choose a character he or she controls with one or more fate and then remove a fade from that character. If you're playing multiplayer, it does that to all of your opponents. So that's that's nice. That's a form of economy. Right. Essentially, it's conditional, but it just takes up the holding. I mean, it just takes up the province for the moment. I guess we don't know what all the holding options are, but with how little fate you have to spend, to if you're trying to burn through four provinces a turn of cards and play attachments, I feel like holdings are going to be included in every deck ever just because they do something without paying fate. Just looking at it in theory crafting myself, I think I would put in maybe two or three, because you can discard them, right? But worst case scenario is if you include three, you could flip up three provinces and a dude. And that could be a that could be a pretty bad. I guess it's not the worst. You can make that dude stick around, but if it's like not that good a dude... Plus, at some point, there's diminishing returns to putting fate. If that's if that's turn five right. or six of the game, putting more fate on that guy, not terribly relevant. <laughs> if you have conflict characters, that helps too. So I guess if you're running more out of your conflict, you could actually probably swing more out of your, uh, swing more holdings as well. Yeah. I still don't think I'd run more than like two or three. Of one holding or just holdings, period? Holdings, period. Huh. Hmm. You know, I hope, completely separate from whether or not like it's a good idea, I hope that it's the right thing to run more holdings than that because I don't want them to be like events or regions often were in old in classic L5R, where you maybe just played with one or two of them in your deck that were bonkers, and then you just didn't play with anything else, and so they were just always relegated to the binder. Because uh, if you're only playing with two holdings in your deck, that's that's really just like you're only playing with whatever the one best holding in the universe is. Not that there's tons of holdings right now, but it would be kind of... I mean, I guess other than Crab, I would think Crab... Crab are playing with more. So, I mean, I guess all the holdings are just Crab cards, maybe, but... Well, I mean, yeah, and I could even see, since they do give a province strength boost just for sitting in the province, I could definitely see a deck that wanted to be more defensive, possibly running more of them. I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting thing to think about, if nothing else. All right. Let me disclose my bias in first. At first, I actually kind of don't like the Dragon Province. 
Really? I think it's pretty good. I think the part of the problem is that I just look at it and be like, when my opponent attacks this with four cards in their hand, it does nothing. Yes, yeah, you're not wrong there, but let me <laughs> let me count, let me counterpoint you for a couple things. Number one, because we've only seen three, we've only seen three of these provinces revealed, right? The clan provinces revealed. This is the only one that doesn't need to be broken to happen. It just happens when it flips up. So you can actually put this as your stronghold. And if he does a turn where he draws five cards because he's like, you know what, I just need to take this stronghold, all of a sudden you flip Restoration of Balance and you get punished pretty hard. Oh, did you have nine cards in your hand? Not anymore. Yes, if you if you knock a bunch of cards out of your opponent's hand, but if you, let's say you your opponent has six cards in hand and it knocks two of them out. That's still not too bad. That's That's not too bad, but we've seen... We've seen lots of things that are like, and they discard one and you draw one, or... I, I don't know. I mean, but that's... If it always made them discard two, I'd be like, I really like this one. Yeah, that seems like it might be a little too good. Yeah. And part of the thing is, like, it, it's it's weirdly... You're, it's The comparison isn't... I mean, to some extent, the comparison is to what the other clan provinces are, but when you're building, the comparison is really... What are the... What are the other fire? What are the other? Well, what are the other fire ones? What are the other neutral ones? I think we. Well, you've seen one where we you honor and dishonor a person. Yeah, I was about to say, is shameful display of fire? I believe so. Well, it makes sense, right? Because fire is the honor dishonoring. It, yeah. So let me ask you. Shameful display has action. During a conflict at this province, choose two participating characters, honor one of them, and dishonor the other. It's a three-province strength, same as Restoration of Balance. If your opponent has to attack it multiple times, you get to use it multiple times. Honoring one character and dishonoring another is, I think we'd agree, a very potent effect. Yes. Even if you don't have somebody in that battle, since there's no presence anymore... If they have somebody with a glory of zero and somebody with like a glory of two, you can honor their glory zero and dishonor their glory two, and that's still pretty decent. You know that you have the shameful display there, so you know like, oh, if I defend with my two one, he might become a three two or a four three or something. I mean, I guess at this point, I mean, and and right, I put this proviso in for everything. You know, we it's not the same thing talking now as having like played real games with real cards and real deck building with everything available, but shameful display seems much more reliably, reliable and, and potent. I don't know. If if my opponent is just running at me with four cards, because this uh, happens when it's revealed, so that's like at the very beginning of battle. If he's just running at me with four cards, I feel like I'm in a pretty good position, because you can get a pretty decent amount of draw every game. And like I said, since you can stack this on your uh, stronghold, you always know you're going to get to flip it and use it, whether or not, you know, what effect it actually has. Uh, but with the crane and lion one, you actually can't put it on your stronghold because they only happen when they break. So it's like, well, this effect literally doesn't happen. Yeah, you definitely can't. You definitely can't do that. Well, and that's and that's another thing. I don't as far as the right thing to do it. If you right, you start with four cards in hand and let's say that on a typical first turn, people draw three cards. What is that number actually going to be? I have no idea. But let's say it's three. And then they attack after maybe playing one attachment. 
then they'd be losing two early on. So when people are coming at your stronghold, is it going to be the sort of scenario where you talked about where like, oh, they de- they just draw five and go? Or is it not? And if it is that scenario, will someone's hand be worn down by that at some right. point? Uh, but, you know, by that at some point. If it's if it's like, well, I need to draw five to break their province because I only had one in my hand anyway, you're still getting two cards, but... And they do get to choose it, which is also worse than, like, if they had to randomly discard down to four. If it was a random set of discard, that would be obviously, I guess, that would obviously be much... Well, it, it, <laughs> much it, and I think, I don't know, if I was running this, I'd probably almost always run it on my stronghold if I decided to run it, because it only happens once, and you probably just need one good defense of your stronghold, I'd imagine. Whereas any other province, they either, they're probably going to go at it the second time if they don't get it the first time, because it's literally not going to do anything. Yes. If they don't take Restoration of Balance on the first crack, they're absolutely going to take another crack <laughs> at it because <laughs> it's guaranteed well and that's the other and another thing about this is that if you're a dragon your opponent will know whether or not you like that you may have it right if you're playing against an opponent who knows the card pool they're not gonna walk blind you're talking about the sensei thing if you have broken three of the dragon players provinces and you haven't seen let's let's assume that you only attacked three, you broke those three, you Ooh. haven't seen a fire province yet. And so you're going to run at their stronghold. And the sort of strategy you're talking about is the sort of strategy that people do of putting restoration of... Does your opponent then not do the whole draw five thing because they're like, oh, I'm going to lose them anyway? Or do they draw the five being like, oh, well, I'm, I, I mean, I guess if it just doesn't matter that much because they know that they're going to have some chafe to discard. Right. Can your opponent kind of play around it at that point? Although, the, I mean, the card still has value. I mean, like, if if the possibility of Restoration of Balance me- encourages my opponent not to draw a bunch of cards and attack me, that's a power all of on its own, even if the card's not right. in my deck. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put Shameful Display on my, uh, my Stronghold just to make you think it's Restoration of Balance. <laughs> <laughs> So, let go just seems insanely good, and as much as I mocked people saying this about some other things before, let go, action, choose an attachment, discard it for free, that seems kind of auto-include. Yes. Just write that in ink on my Dragon Clan deck lists and move on. I also feel like if you are the parent of a young child, you'll probably also partially hate this card, because a lot of people will probably sing the Frozen song when they play it. That occurred to me, although the card is called Let Go rather than Let It Go. It's close enough, Chris. I know. It was it was close enough to make me think of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I sadly am sure that will at some there will be people singing Let It Go when they play this card. It's possible I'm one of them, depending on how much of a jerk I'm feeling like at the time. Um I don't know. Jerk, you just have to let the love in your heart out, Chris. <laughs> So then we have the Dragon Stronghold, Mountains Anvil Castle, which lets you bow it to give a character... You see, you target one of your characters, or I guess it doesn't have to be one of yours, but it, you're, it's almost certainly going to be. They have to have an attachment. 
and they get plus one military and plus one politics or plus two of each if they already have two or more attachments on them. So really going all in on the you better put attachments on your guys. Yeah. I'm hoping we see more free attachments. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't think it's it's too bad just by itself, right? Just a plus one, plus one seems so good. And every, not all of the, the, the dragon overall seemed to have more balanced stats than the other clans for the most part from the cards that we've seen. Yeah, I mean, FFG has explicitly stated that that's, so, I mean, I, they, it's always right. possible they don't follow through on it, but they've explicitly stated that the dragon clan characters are supposed to have more balanced stats than anyone else. So, so even a plus two, plus two, well, that's obviously better than a plus one, plus one. A plus one, plus one is more potent in a clan that has those balanced stats, right? Because it's more of a threat. It's never really a plus one, plus one is the odd thing because you're using it during a conflict. Right. So it's it's not so much a plus one, plus one as, I, as plus one or plus one. It's versatility, right? That's part of what the dragon are, are doing is they... I'm usually not going to get a total of plus two stats out of this, but... Whichever stat it is that I need, I can get. You know, there's no like, oh, none of my cards boost politics, crud. I, I don't know that that's 100% true, right? Because you've got, uh, what, Miramoto Raitsugu? I get it, Raitsugu? I don't know exactly how to say. Right, because his is a military duel, but it doesn't say, is it just is participating in a conflict. So that boost still helps his duel. Yes, if he's if he shows up at a Raitsugu is how I was saying it. I right. could be wrong. Raitsugu. But yeah, if he shows up at a... Political battle. Political conflict, he can still do his military duel. In fact, as, as people have observed, you know, a political conflict actually might be exactly the sort of place to do one of these duels because people will be tending to send their politically oriented folks to the battle. Right. If we're in a military conflict there's a direct correlation between how hard it is for me to win and how much i want to get rid of you whereas in a political conflict there may be somebody i desperately want to get rid of who is super easy to duel Uh, right (laughs) like you have zero military and four politics let's go (laughs) right well and i would assume I, i don't think we've seen any cards that are like this but i would assume at some point there would be other cards that do stat comparisons and they wouldn't necessarily have to be tied to the conflict they're in. Yeah, but I mean the... That is still more outside, right? But it's a little bit more benefit. But the other interesting thing to me about this is that the Dragon Stronghold has the same family honor as the Crane one, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So whatever they're doing with the family honor, it is definitely not... 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, or something like that. They said 11 is around the average value, so that may mean that, like, only Lion are higher and only Scorpion are lower, or I don't know. If I mean, because if 11... I don't know if 11 is around the average means 11 is the average, or if it means, like, 10.5 is the average. I don't know. Right. I mean, there's only seven of them. We've seen three in... Right now, it's like, what, 11.25? Uh, Average, something th- like that? 11 and a third. 11 and a third, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. That's right, if we had one more 11, it would be Yeah, I guess that's technically true. If 
if you've got a lot of 11s and then a 12, then 11 is around the average value because <laughs> the average value is like 11.1. <laughs> yes. Oh. And then the final thing we have is sort of the the rule book spoileries that are out there. I mean, well, we also had a Facebook Live, but there was a lot of the Facebook Live stuff. Like, it, it's the sort of thing if you're following obsessively you already knew it or it was really ticky-tack stuff. And if you care about the really ticky-tack stuff, you probably already watched the Facebook Live. And you could probably just wait until they release the rulebook, even though it's it, weird to me that they haven't released the rulebook yet, but you know, they're going to do what they're going to do. It's stuff like exactly what is the trigger for losing an honor for not defending or what happens to the fate on an unclaimed ring if you swap with the... Which, which will matter, right? but... And the, the funny thing to me, since they won't re- release the rulebook, is I think there's only one question that they like partially answered and wouldn't answer the second part. But other than that, on Facebook Live, they've they've answered everything else. Which gets my sense, right? You're not going to bring up a question that you're just not going to answer, probably. Yeah. What What was the question that they I only answered part of? Do not remember. <laughs> I don't remember either. I mean, they have brought things up to say that, like, they during the first Facebook Live, I think, like somebody asked about multiplayer, and their and their answer was. They read that, and the answer was basically no comment. Oh, that's what it was. That's what I was thinking of. Oh, yeah, that one, yeah, and that was from the first one. So, I mean, there's some willingness to do that, although that's also, to some extent, a teaser. But the main thing I think that we saw out of the the rule book, I mean, some of it was just confirmation of stuff we kind of already knew, or already did know, but there are some of the, the deck construction things, like there's the... Like, some of it's minor, like, it says no more than three copies of a single card by title, so, okay, now we know how it works if they print another version of Tagashi Yakuni. I still get a total of three. Not really surprising that that's how it works, but that's how it works. There's the limit on the number of character cards you can put in your in your conflict deck, which could be interesting for Dragon, since, as we discussed, they have characters that you may just be playing as attachments. Right. But those are still going to count against your character count for your deck building. And maybe you don't care. Maybe you're like, that's all right. I don't want to play a bunch of characters out of my hand. I want to play attachments to make super units. Get you a monk who can do both. (laughs) The biggest thing to me was this roll card, right? This is the stuff that first came out from that, like, Spanish publisher thing where it, like, kind of translated as personality. And we had said, oh, we don't know what it is. And then there was speculation that was referenced on this show that oh well then maybe that could be like a game of thrones where they've got the cards that are used for multiplayer but we now know that those are called role cards r-o-l-e it's role playing not role playing guys come on there's no dice in yet <laughs> well there were there was they put in side games in the net net runner you never know <laughs> but then it says a player may use one roll card. A roll card is placed next to a player's stronghold card during setup and modifies that player's options while building and playing the deck. So that sounds a lot like Sensei in Classic L5R or Banners in A Game of Thrones, which is obviously completely different from something you use only for multiplayer. Right. That's a major major component of the game right. to have not been revealed. Well, and really, 
banners in later Game of Thrones are not that different from Sensei, right? Because Sensei, they affected the stats of your stronghold and sometimes, and then they essentially let you play around a theme most of the time. And that's exactly what banners do as well. They're a little bit more open-ended most of the time, but some of them are specifically like for Thrones. It's like you can play the Brotherhood or you can play Knights and, you know, you don't have to care about their affiliation or whatever. Uh, yeah, they didn't they just do one of they just previewed the one of those for maesters yep. like you could include non-loyal maesters ignoring their faction. Right. That is a a significant addition, right, to to the game. And I and I'm curious what those will be because it's not if I recall correctly where the the banners at launch for a Game of Thrones was like a set of alliance banners basically. There was one other one, but yes. And then the banners since then have been more like the, it's the Knight's banner, it's the Maester's banner. Since there's only five of them, they're probably not doing that with... uh... (laughs) Also in Thrones, is in Thrones, am I recalling correctly that, because I don't actually play Thrones, is the banners the only way that you ally? Yes. Yeah, so that's obviously not the case in L5R, so having them be something like those alliance banners makes substantially less sense. Not much, not that you couldn't. Right. I mean, you, you you could still have a banner that that does something like that, but not on a system. It doesn't seem like you'd have it on a system systematic level. But that could make a a big a big big difference about what people's options are at the start of the game. Like, is there a if there's a Bushi banner or a Shugenja banner or a you know they've got like some kind of more exotic alliance banners like right. they, that could really change up what what I, I right, like I had mentioned before you don't especially on your dynasty deck you have a relatively narrow range of options on your dynasty deck because there's no alliances it's just you have like a total of 42 cards give or take i th- i think it's about 42 cards of clan aligned cards to choose from and then a holding and a few personalities that are neutrals to swap that up, you're going to end up using almost two-thirds of the available cards, I think, to make your dynasty deck. <laughs> well, I mean, and that's how it was in Thrones, right? Anytime they have the base set, it's that's why the, the tournament is only 30 and 30 at Gen Con, when you can only use one base set. I guess I thought that that was part of the point in Thrones of putting all those banners in the base set was that it like oh it would open up deck building options well it, it does and it, essentially you had to in the beginning I, I don't well so there was a neutral one that was basically you could kneel to uh, reduce the cost of something that was loyal but you could only have so many neutral cards and you could run that but I think it was literally you had to put in everything that you could possibly run with that in the out of the base box maybe with like one or two exceptions. It's sort of like a, a thematic opposite of the other banners. All the right. other banners are about alliances. This is the banner about rewarding you for playing only your clan's stuff. Right, and pretty quickly, like within a pack or two, it, it was much more feasible. Yeah. Anything like a sensei or a banner, that is a significant high-impact part of the game. Right. Anything that's changing, right, changing deck-building restrictions, that's... It, throwing five sensei out there, if that's this is probably not the case, but right, if each clan had access, had realistic access to all of those roles, or heck, if each clan had realistic access to two of those roles, that might effectively triple the number of deck types 
that you have available to play around with for each clan. Where is the five? Where's that five number coming from? Well, the five number is the number that was listed for those, like that we the weird personality card in. Oh, okay. In that Spanish distributors promotional materials from the other month. Gotcha. So that's not in the. I mean, right, the book just says that your deck consists of, among other things, optionally one roll card. Right. That could change if the if there were really ten of those or only two of them because I'm misrecalling or that information from before was inaccurate, that would, would significantly change up how those those operated. It could change, right? Because that was part of why they didn't want people to take pictures of that rule book. You know, you know, sometimes the stuff's outdated, and then people are expecting something else, and you know, when the actual thing comes out, they're like, wait, what is this? Uh, yeah, so, and what you're, what you're uh, I think, referring to there uh, is that there was some sort of demo event at something in in France, and I guess they let people see things they weren't necessarily planning on letting them see and take pictures of things they weren't necessarily supposed to let them take pictures of, apparently including the rule book. <laughs> so they could change up. In fact, I think some of the cards that people took pictures of were the same cards that we've seen on the website, but out of date. Right. I think we've we've even seen that on the website. I think a lot of the earlier cards, when they did the previews in the earlier articles, they wouldn't have any flavor text. Yeah. I remember thinking that was weird. And it's just because they didn't put the flavor text on the picture for the card, or the way that we right we had the switch between Shiro no Yojin and Yojin no Shiro for the Lion Clan. Yep. I don't know. So, we've gone through Dragon, we've gone through the the hints in the uh, the rule book. I think I'm reaching the end of my uh, exhaustion track here. So I think I'm done blathering, but do you have any uh, other commentary? You haven't, you haven't gotten to talk about the crane or the lion on, on, least, well, on this podcast. You did appear on another podcast. Traitor. Hey. I'm sorry, what? No? Did you hear you, something? Uh, I, I heard that there was a crane podcast that I was not on for this podcast. <laughs> and the Do phoenix like one crane or something maybe oh, oh no wait i guess there wasn't a phoenix one yet is there never mind i was gonna say no you just have to make sure jay doesn't appear on the phoenix one and we'll be all <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna You're say like, well, we should just be me and jay for this one so none of us actually get to do our own clan there you go no there have been a couple of episodes that did not have of, of strange assembly that did not have me on them but only a couple <laughs> Uh, let's, what do I want to say? I love everything that's been revealed so far. It, it's funny having to adapt. It, it's fun telling new people because I've been talking to people about, hey, you know, this game's coming out. I'm trying to recruit whoever I can. Uh, this, I have to say, the uh, quiz that you made has been very helpful. People like taking quizzes, so uh, that's really been good. They'll say, oh, what clan are you? And they take a quiz, figure it out, and then I talk to them from there. It is been kind of hard to make the adjustment out of the old game mindset, even though I haven't actually played the old game in, in quite a while, because I stopped at the end of either Emperor or the edition that was after that. I think, I want to say it was towards the end of Emperor when I when I stopped playing, but it's still like, you know, I see the Lion cards and I think, man, that seems really strong because they have, like, you know, they have so many small guys and they give them, you know, buff a whole bunch of them up. And you remember, oh, but they can only do one attack with military per turn. 
so things like that are, are very interesting. I like everything that's come out. I think all three of the champions are very flavorful and cool. I really like that the crane and lion champions are opposite of each other, like, you know, reverses of each other. I think, once again, Yokuni is really cool. He's, what, 5 for a 5-5, which is very balanced, still has a 3 glory. So he can get really up there, especially that's before you throw any attachments on him. And this whole thing is like, I do whatever somebody else does seems very dragony. Yeah, it, it lets him be uh, mysterious. He's mysterious. It's just me, or I'm, I'm just completely, you know, speculating. But I think there's a reasonable basis for it. But, but clan champions are going to hate playing against Scorpion, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> I just have this vision. I Maybe. have this vision. Well, why? Why do you think that? Oh, I don't right. know. Dishonor. Yeah. Okay. Derp. <laughs> Derp. <laughs> yes, dishonor. That's. If there's one clan that's going to go around dishonoring other people's characters, it's going to be Scorpion. I've actually thought about this, too, right? If you put out your clan champion, you probably don't want to do it when you're going second, because they can do fire on their first attack, and you either have to be able to defend with everything else or your clan champion to make sure it doesn't get dishonored. Because if it gets dishonored, you can't rehonor it with fire again, because that ring's already been taken, and it's going to have significantly less impact. Yes, the 2-2 Takashi Yakuni or the 0-3. The zero three. Or 3-0. Less, much less scary. Much less scary. Yeah, that's the other thing I would say overall is just I really love the design of the rings and how they impact the game. Um, it, it is somewhat reminiscent of Thrones, but the same way it's, it's entirely different at the same point. And all of them seem very, very good to me, very strong. And it, there's a case where you'd see all of them, and it's not like, Right, the old rings that were in L5, they're not exactly analogous, but there were a, you know, a few rings that you saw in a lot of decks, and then the one ring you basically only ever saw for the guy who was trying to actually do enlightenment. I really like that all of the rings are always really good options. It's almost always going to be beneficial to honor somebody. Uh, maybe not so much if you're not super high glory, but all the other ones especially seem really good. But yeah. Well, I mean, we're, you're, you gotta, you got to have a character who's at least one glory out there right as you got you, think, you got just one guy who's a two then that's plus two plus two well you know if, if he's got three in his relevant stat and a glory of one he could potentially take a province by himself right because threes and fours are most of what we've seen so far yeah yeah or defend or defend i hear that matters i, I hear you're gonna have to actually defend a province at some point to uh to win this game yeah it turns out tempo is still still a heck of a thing that's most of it. I love the art. All the art in Dragon seems great. All the art and basically all the cards looks great. The pieces that they've chosen to reuse are really good. Like the Knight and Master, that was, gosh, who was that? That was a really, that was like one of your uniques in Emperor, wasn't it? And tangentially related, do you think there will be a Katsuki card where someone is not kneeling? Because <laughs> all of them so far, the people kneeling and looking at things on the floor. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at the murder scene on the floor, right? We've got the <laughs> Katsuki's method. He's like looking at some spilled ink, maybe. Like there's somebody who got. It looks like somebody maybe got. This is somebody. It looks like blood when I look at it, but then yeah. there's there's like this tea around. So I don't know if it's supposed to be somebody who got poisoned and that's something else down there. It's funny because uh, he's clearly like trying to point it out to somebody, but to me it looks like he's actually touching it and he's like gonna taste it. Yes, you're right. You are correct. It does. It does. Which even a Katsuki would not actually touch blood. Right. Much less taste it. 
Even the Katsuki investigator has some blood spot right there on the side of him. No, he does, yes. The Katsuki investigator looks like he's kneeling down. Someone got cut up. Here's the murder weapon laying right there. There's blood on the ground. <laughs> yeah, there was. Like, they're both kneeling down examining the dead body on the ground. I, it's, it's, like I said, you know, again, not touching the dead body or standing there and directing the Edda on how to examine the dead body or, or whatever it is. For those of you who have not been around L5R for forever, it's super taboo to touch a dead body uh, in Rokugan. At least it was in classic Rokugan. So I don't know why on earth. I don't know why on earth that would change. Especially for a samurai cast. Uh, yes, yeah. Well, it wasn't for anybody. It was It was right. so dishonorable. Like, you even... Right, because Rokugan, traditionally at least, has, like, the the very... You know, the fairly strict cast system. Oh, I guess they still have the cast system, although we saw yeah. the dragon breaking it in the... Uh, yeah, well, it specifically said that they broke it, right? Because he did things that... Yes, they were running out of samurai, so they just started taking promising peasants and calling them samurai. Well, and also the, gosh, whoever it was that was going up to the mountain, uh, like, took his pack and specifically said that normally this would not be something a samurai did. Well, the dragon do that all the time. Right. Like, yeah, rice and fish. There are not a lot of rice and fish in the dragon mountains. So that was always one of the cute things, is that the dragon would eat, quote-unquote, mountain tuna, <laughs> which, which is goat. <laughs> but they'd call it mountain tuna because it was, you know, not as... It's not like dishonorable to eat meat, but like frowned upon. Like right. really the unicorn were the ones who would openly eat meat. And the dragon monks are like that as well. There's a lot of weird things with the way the dragon monks intersect with the caste system. And because monks in general are kind of in their own category. But like anybody can be a monk. In Traditionally in Rokugen, the Brotherhood of Shinsei or the monks is, is like the one place where you can legitimately have people of different castes just all hang out together because they cease to be their old caste. Like, technically, you know, any person who becomes a monk has the same status as any other person who becomes a monk. And then the monks are kind of outside of the social order in that way. They're not... Like, a samurai isn't above a monk, technically, right. but they're not below a monk. They're not the same as a monk. What is this? And the dragon monks just make that weirder because they're also members of a clan. And so technically that makes them samurai. Yes. Well, they have the family name of a kami and that could only possibly be the case if they're a samurai, right? But they also, they're still not really a samurai, obviously. Like, right. So they end up in all sorts of weird, in all sorts of weird space with that. But yeah, I mean, but touching dead bodies is, so you have, you have the samurai cast. And then you have the Haman, which I think literally translates as half-people, which is, you know, farmers and such. Your non-samurai cast. And then below that, there were the, the, the Edda, who did the impure things, one of which is anything doing with dead bodies. Or like leather working, mm -hmm. right? Because that's sort of touching a dead body. Well, I mean, it's touching a dead body, just not, not a human dead body. Right. I don't know how much will see of that that's one of those things where some the, this sort of conversation hasn't come up for a while on the boards but there were some people who were you know it has been suggested that they should just strip that out of the setting oh some of the more some of the more stuff that they lifted out of that period of japan and probably a little bit of china and whatnot i think part of the reason why is like it's actually still a thing right in actual japan and like certain areas where 
I, I don't know. I don't remember the, the details of it, but it's the kind of thing where like they change names because the name like means something that signifies that the people there are from, you know, so it's a, I don't know. And it's, it's the sort of thing where like, if publish anything that's U S related and you're say having slave slavery in it, you have to be extremely careful about how you do that if you're going to do it at all when you're marketing it to a U.S. audience. And it, it it's the sort of weird thing is it's like you don't really think about that at all with the ETA, but that's to some extent because like we just aren't actually cognizant of the notion that this is actually a real thing. I think we think of it more like talking about serfs. Right or peasants in a, you know, like a fantasy role-playing game where we know that this is how it was hundreds of years ago, but there's no one out there that, to the best of my knowledge, no one gets discriminated against because 150 years ago, their great-grandparents were bonded to the land, as it were. (laughs) Yeah. But I get, anyhow. Well, I I, I think it's going to be very interesting, right? Because uh, Fantasy Flight as a whole, especially like with Android, have been a fairly progressive company as far as the things that they've shown and they've talked about. And, you know, it's never coming out and saying, oh, yes, we support this. But it's the things that they include and don't include and talk about. And so, you know, as much as I love L5R, it has to be said it does have kind of some elements of appropriation to it. So... You know, things like this are going to crop up. So I'm very interested to see how how FFG works with this. Uh, for instance, one of the things that the one of the lion samurai, one of the female samurai, the the Death Seeker, they you reuse that art. The art has been around for forever from AEG. I want to say it was on the front of one of the big boxes, like of the four player multiplayer set or whatever. But it's very clearly like that type of armor that's very form-fitting. It's like, uh, this armor doesn't really work. And I don't think that's something you'd see out of FFG uh, new artwork. But they still chose to use the old artwork. So, not really, you know, I just, I'm very interested to see how they move forward with this type of thing. It's, it's, it's kind of tricky uh, in the, a lot of the world today. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I frankly, if uh, if FFG starts worrying about cultural appropriation i think they just have to kill the game yeah like, <laughs> I, I, let's not have a a half hour long discussion no. on the podcast about the notions of cultural appropriation right, it's just uh, something i've been thinking of recently and it's like it, it, yeah so i think we'll call this a wrap so uh thank you for listening everyone this has been strange assembly your tabletop gaming podcast you can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com You can subscribe to the podcast there on Apple Podcasts or in the Google Play Music Store. You can check us out on social media. We're facebook.com slash strangeassembly or at strangeassembly on Twitter. I always like to hear from you so you can contact me. I'm Chris at strangeassembly.com But until then, for Mike Cook, I'm Chris Stevenson and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.